Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mexican Soccer Show. This is an hour-long podcast discussing all things Mexican football. On today's episode, we're going to dive into Julian Araujo's move to Barcelona, El Tráfico, Diego Coca, Liga Mekis matches, Liga Mekis weekend, and much, much more. Uh, today's a solo pod. Hopefully you don't get uh, too tired of my voice. <laughs> but let's start with Araujo. Um, the saga is nearly over. I'm not going to say that it is 100% over, but it is nearly over. Um, he is now officially with Barcelona on a contract through 2026. Um, he's taken the photos, you know, you you've seen the images of him wearing the kits. Galaxy announced it last week uh, that they've agreed to terms with him. Barcelona have uh, agreed um, uh, for the deal for the player. It's through 2026. It's exciting, very, very exciting for Mexican soccer. But We'll see what the court arbitration for sport has to say, because we have to remember um, Barcelona registered Julian Araujo 18 seconds too late uh, earlier this month. So currently appealing the decision to re- register him um, for the season, which kind of I don't know, leaves you with interesting question regarding Araujo. Because let's say, let's say the appeal doesn't work and he can't uh play season let's say um court of arbitration for sport or perhaps people like to say for sport um let's say doesn't matter that it's 18 seconds too late doesn't matter that you know barcelona are claiming that it's a computer error Araujo can't be registered this season i think it's an interesting question where you think is he better off would or would he have been better off staying with the la galaxy playing in mls or better off still training with Barcelona's B team, because that's where you're currently at, and not playing. Um, it's a t- decision, uh, you know. I imagine there's probably going to be a lot of mixed emotions for Araujo, and we still don't know what this, this uh, decision is going to be. But in my perspective, I think even if um, Cast uh, decide to not rule in favor of Barcelona, even if they say, sorry, Barcelona, you're 18 seconds, but you're still late. Araujo can't play uh, with the team this season. I still think that it's a step in the right direction for him to just be training with Barcelona's B team and to be playing in in, in MLS. Um, that's nothing against MLS. You know, this is a league that, you know, is still developing. It's a league that is still making strides. But that being said, I think just for the future of my for the future of this, this fullback, this very talented fullback, I think it benefits him to adjust to Barcelona. I think it benefits him to find time uh, to train out there. And even if that mean he, means he isn't getting uh, any playing time, I think it's still good for him to be adjusting uh, out there in Barcelona. So we'll see what happens. Obviously, if the approval does go through, then that's excellent. <laughs> you know, then he'll be out uh, not only training with Barcelona's B team, and also training with Rafa Marquez, because we have, we have to remember that. Um, Mexican national icon Rafa Marquez is now the manager for Barcelona B. Um, but he'd also uh, potentially get some playing time with them as well. Um, and regarding whether, because uh, there's a lot of confusion regarding this, let's say, costs override uh, the decision and say, yeah, uh, you know, repeal doesn't work. Um, Barcelona, you know, Araujo can't be sure this season. People wonder, does that mean he could be loaned back to the Galaxy? Um, and recently, uh, my colleague over at ESPN, Jeff Carlisle, um, he was told um, by Greg Vanny, LA Galaxy coach Greg Vanny, that 
that's just not something that's going to happen. Um, it's just, uh, you know, Araujo is with uh, Barcelona and that there is a possibility for him to be long to the Galaxy. So um, fingers crossed it does go through. It doesn't. I still think that it's okay. I still think it obviously it'd be more ideal for him to be playing as you know as a registered player. Um, but it seems uh, quite obvious that they're Barcelona still want to hold on to to Araujo, even if they can't register him and still have him trained with the team. So uh, I think that's not a bad plan B, but see what happens. And uh, quickly regarding you know Spanish soccer and Mexicans abroad, I think we have to give a, a quick shout out to 19 year old Mexican forward Jesus Hernandez, um, who signed with Elche. Uh, last Thursday, and then by Sunday, he ends up scoring his debut game with the squad. It's not the senior squad. It's not, um, you know, like the Elche's senior team, but still, for a 19-year-old Mexican forward who um, ran out his contract from Petro last summer, then able to get uh, an opportunity to, to train with, with Elche and basically uh, – uh, kind of test himself for a few months and to be signed and score in his debut with his side. I think that's excellent, excellent news. Um, but speaking of LA Galaxy, speaking of a team that Julian Rauco you play for, we have to talk about El Tráfico. El Tráfico this Saturday. We've got LA Galaxy hosting LAFC at Rose Bowl and MLS's opening weekend. It's Chicharito and Efrain Alvarez against Carlos Vela in what could be a record attendance crowd in MLS. So the current record is 74,499, set by Charlotte in 22. And after I got a chance to chat with someone about the LA Galaxy last Friday, they told me they've already sold 70,000 tickets. So it's, it's exciting from an MLS perspective, but there might be people listening to this, the Mexican soccer show, and saying, well, why should I care? I mean, I'll be real. I'm sure there are a lot of people who are, who are thinking, why should someone from the Mexican soccer world, why should they think that this is an important game? Um, you know, some people say, is this something that L3 or even the Gamekis fans should be paying close attention to? Or, or is this simply a game with a few players that aren't currently in the national team picture? So I, from my perspective, it's, it's a a little, it's a little bit of the two. I think more so towards leaning that it is actually in a game in the Mexican soccer world. Remember, Chicharito hasn't closed the door yet to El Tri. Efrain Alvarez is reportedly having a strong season. Um, and also, I think it could be a milestone, you know, for MLS regarding attention from Mexican soccer fans because when you go to those tropical games and the ones that I covered, they feel exactly like Mexico friendly. So if that record attendance could be broken, a single game attendance record could be broken in major soccer, and what will likely be a very Latino, Latinx crowd, that's significant. That's hugely significant. Now, that being said, uh, as someone who does support the Mexican national team, I do think that El Tri needs to move on beyond Chicharito, beyond Vela. Even though, you know, Diego Coca is now in the picture, even though um there's new manager for all three you know Vela. it's it's that he's he's already shut the door for the mexican national team he's said it i mean every single time you listen to uh fc press conference for big games you know people are always asked about it and the same and the answer has always been the same and i wouldn't be surprised if 
you know, ahead of this game this weekend, if there's a question in Spanish, and then you see Vela get a little bummed out hearing that because I'm sure he's tired of answering these questions. But whenever these big games happen for FC um, and you have bigger attention from media, there are always people asking, you know, do you want to play for Anthony? And inevitably, it's going to be no. I would be shocked, very, very shocked if he were to suddenly decide that he doesn't want, suddenly decide he does want to be back in the national picture. It seems like he's happy with LAFC and, and just uh, what he's doing at the club. Now for Chicharito, that's, Mexico needs to move uh, move on beyond Chicharito. Um, I think uh, when it comes to the striker situation, you have to look at someone like a Santi Jimenez, I think, uh, who should be taking charge now. Um, you have to get Henry Martin, who, you know, you can't argue against his his numbers that he's scoring for Club America and also provided a crucial assist over the weekend. But that being said, I do think that Chicharito needs to be given in some sort of maybe whether it be um in a friendly or even in the nation's league uh, uh next month i think it would be cool to see chicharito kind of given a, a guy game because you don't want to see the national team his national team career end the way that it has where clearly there is a, a falling out with the fmf and with um and with the national team um back in 2019 and that was the last time he represented the mexican national team I, for a player of his caliber, he really does deserve a, a goodbye game. Um, so maybe that'd be at some point this year. Maybe, like I said, even even in a Nations League game uh, next month against Jamaica, um, there is no view set just yet, but it is going to be Mexico. I'm not sure we're in Mexico, but that, I think that'd be a good opportunity to, to have a goodbye game for 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 Charito. Um, and also, yes, even though I was saying to move on past. Chicharito and that uh, Vela clearly doesn't want to picture anymore. Keep an eye on Fernando Alvarez. Keep an eye on him. And, and from from those who are keeping a close eye on him, it seems like he's having a very good preseason. It seems like there is like a lot of whispers of saying like, is is this truly going to be his breakout year? You know, he even I think I saw some quote on the lines of him saying that he's finally being better about his diet, about his health, and I know people have been critical about that uh when it comes to Efrain and you know it seems like we've been talking about him for so long we forget that he's still only 20 years old you know this isn't a player who already hit his peak a player who's already hit his ceiling he's still very very young so that's another player to keep an eye on and maybe in El Trafico uh this weekend if he if he really thrives if if Efrain really really steps up in this huge big big scenario and, and what's going to be a packed uh a rose bowl and what could be a record attendance crowd i think that could be a sign of him having possibly his best mls season so far and then after that who knows what can happen because as we've seen sometimes it's difficult for players to leave the Mekis to move to europe it's different in mls where it's a little bit easier for players to make that leap from Major League Soccer over um, to Europe. And if that means that it benefits certain Mexican national team players, like, as we know, Julio Araujo, then that'd be fantastic because we did see rumors recently that there are teams abroad who are interested in Efrain. So if he has a very good season, and he has a, even if he has a, a good start to the season, I wouldn't be surprised if suddenly more European teams 
provide an opportunity with him at some point this summer. Maybe he could move in summer, maybe move next winter. But I think that's really, really important um, for the future of his career. All right, so now let's move on to Liga Mekis. Um, when I say let's move on to Liga Mekis, um, first let's talk about what's happening off the field because I find what's happening off the field and specifically in the stands more interesting than what was happening on the field. Uh, so Diego Coca, new manager for the Mexican national team, he's been busy. He's been going to a lot. It's as I wrote in a recent article, it's almost like he's trying to, you know, impress his bosses uh, and make a good, like, you know, first impression after getting a new job. Right. <laughs> and through that, he's been doing a lot of it. He's been going to a lot of league games, you know, uh, on Friday, uh, he was at uh, Puebla versus Cruz Azul. Uh, on Sunday, he was at Pumas versus Chivas. Uh, on Sunday, he was at Pachuca versus Toluca. I mean, before that, he's had a number of games too. And I know some people were wondering, but well, why is that significant? Why is it significant that a coach is, is going to games? Why is this a slow news week? Because I know I'm not the only one who's been highlighting that. You've seen a number of stories about, like, oh, Coca's at this game, Coca's at that game. Well, the reason why it's important is because this is something that former Mexico coach Ata Martino was criticized about. You know, clearly Martino, he had his guys. He had, you know, someone like Jesus Gallardo, someone like Rogelio Fujimori, someone like, I mean, you could think of the players that he would typically call up. And it felt like what happened was Martino didn't go to as many Liga Mekis matches as he would in the early uh, of his tenure. And he was criticized because it felt like there were moments in which you would see someone really step up in Liga Mekis, a good run of form, but not really get that attention from Martino. And part of Coca's promise, the FMF is working more closely with Liga Mekis clubs. So Mekis not, not, not only need to analyze you know, options for, for L3 for next month and going forward, but they consider younger options as well. You see, even in those three games alone that he went to, the three games that, that Coca went to, there were 19 players that were eligible for all three, that were 23 or younger, and they got minutes. So hopefully you keep your fingers crossed. You you hope that if, if Coca is watching these players, if he's truly analyzing these games, maybe there's a chance that a young player, an up an up and coming player, will be getting a chance with L3. Maybe you know, like a like a jurado, you know, over or an or a Nekaxa, um, you know, an eighteen year old midfield will will get a chance. Maybe you look at some players in Pachuca setup. Maybe there's a chance, like a like an Eric Sanchez in the midfield uh, gets an opportunity. Maybe there is a, like the left back from Pachuca, Mauricio Isais, uh gets an opportunity because there's we know the young Mexican talent is out there. It's just about giving them opportunities and and uplifting them even more because it's not just an issue with the national team, but also Liga Mekis. Sometimes it's difficult um, for these players uh, to get opportunity at Liga Mekis. So hopefully by Coca watching these games, by, by Coca attending all these matches, he will be able to, to focus and analyze on more of these young options that Mikko desperately needs. Because it's, it's, it's not just about finding players, you know, in the immediate, you know, let's say the, the, the short term and the medium term, 
But it's also the realization that Mexico needs generational change. I mean, you look at Mexico's most important players and, you know, you can't rely on Hector Moreno. You know, you can't really, even though I said in a recent piece that Hector Moreno could potentially thrive in a Coca system, <laughs> but you can't rely on an Ochoa forever. You can't rely on Moreno forever. You can't rely on a Raul Jimenez, on a Rogelio Furis Mor. Even, even throw Henry Martin in there. Even Henry Martin has been doing a fantastic job, but Mexico can't. That's, those, when, you, when you're looking towards 2026, those aren't options that are that are going to be, that should be important players for all three, because by then, Mexico should be moving on past that. So what Coco is doing, he, it's a step in the right direction, but that doesn't necessarily mean that next month you're going to see a bunch of call-ups that are 18, 19, 20 years old. That, I think, is probably going to be a little bit of a mixture of, of those young guys and probably some, let's say, someone like a Luis Chavez or, or a Ponito Gonzalez who are like in their mid-20s who, who, can, who can step up for 3 after not getting, uh, you know, who after perhaps not getting as much attention as they should have. Although with Luis Chavez, he was obviously crucial with uh, L3 at the World Cup. But you do hope that, uh, yeah, that that, 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 that will be able to, to, like I said, to uplift some of these younger options. And it's something that I'll be keeping an eye on. And uh, like I said, it's too early to to say that what Coco is doing is already an immediate success. But at the very least, he's taking a couple of steps in, in the right direction by by focusing on all these Liga Mekis games. And speaking of Liga Mekis, we got to talk about some highlights because there was actually some exciting stuff that happened you know, over the weekend. Uh, I think we have to start with Cruz Azul getting their first win of the season. I mean, it's a cut. Obviously, it's a, it's a winless streak that extended, began last year. Um, and then they, you know, Potro Gutierrez, um, you know, he struggled at the beginning of the season. He went through five games without a win. Cruz had to fire him, bring in an interim coach. But they were quite impressive against, against Puebla with their, in getting three away goals. And you got to give credit to, uh, to Charlie Rodriguez. Um, some, I, I have been convinced at the national level. I feel like sometimes things don't click with him and, and the rest of the midfield. But with Coca watching the stands, because Coca was at this game, it was almost as if he was, I don't know, felt inspired and felt a need to really impress, uh, you know, the new the new manager for the Mexican national team. And he had provided assist in the game and also a Lasso match as well. So credit to him. And you know what? Like I said, I, I wrote a piece about, yeah, I mentioned this, I think, in the last podcast. Um I, you know, I have a piece about how I think that Charlie Rodriguez might not thrive in a Coca system, but by him not only getting this goal assist, but actually have a deep start to the season, he's forcing his way into the conversation with three. You know, if if, if the golf was tomorrow, I would like for Mexico's games, I would 100% expect uh, Charlie Rodriguez. So credit to him and credit to Cruz Azul getting that first one this season. But they still have a lot of work left to do because, yeah, they got that three to one win. I was impressed uh, with them overall, but they they did a little bit of luck. You know, Puebla did have more possession, more shots. They looked uh, at times looked like they should have probably gotten a second goal there. Uh, but nonetheless, credit to Cruz Azul, well done uh, for that first one this season. Uh, and then also we got to give credit to Chivas, two to one win over Pumas. Chivas. 
you know, despite not having Alexis Vega and JJ Macias, both have been in Macias for quite some time. And then he came back and he got re-injured and, and Vega, who's still, I, I don't, I don't think he'll be available until potentially March, maybe April. Both have been injured, both are players. And when you consider that, and also uh, their new manager, Onovich, you thought, okay, there's probably going to be some issues. Um, they don't have the same kind of depth as, as a Rayados or a Tigres or a Mika, but you know what? Chivas are doing all right. They're up fifth in a the table. They do well defensively. And you, it's, it's, it's too early to see title contenders just yet. But you know what? If, if they continue to play as solid as they have recent games, if in that someone like uh, you know Wacho Quinez continues to have these highlight worthy games because it feels like every week and I mean I don't, I'm not gonna he's been perfect you know because he has had some questionable moments but you watch these games and it feels like he already has like a, a great hype role for, <laughs> for the last couple of months but if he continues to play well and if they do that against Thigdis uh, this upcoming week then yeah I, I I think if they can get the job done against Thigdis you do start saying you know what this looks like a team that could fight for a title. This looks like a team that could potentially win something season. So something to deny on, like I said, it's, it's, it's still early days, but so far it's looking good. And yeah, I, I think if they can get that result against these, you do start to say, hey, maybe there's something here. Maybe they can actually fight for a title um, in 2023. Um, looking across the league and Mickey scores, uh, there's Juarez zero, Leon zero, which pretty boring wasn't the best game <laughs> um we had san luis one santos laguna one uh, my personal highlight was uh san luis unveiling their new mascot uh, a dog named uh lucho so that was a uh, pretty cool <laughs> see that that dog mascot be um uh unveiled and also really quickly actually kind of fascinating about luis so the reason why i have a dog mascot is because in recent years um They've been like hyping up all. They, they've been actually like been advocates for 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 dog adoptions. They they do that every now and then. They have these campaigns for dog adoptions. Um, even adopted three dogs themselves that currently live in the team's headquarters. So there was that. Then they announced their their mascot named Lucho, who's a who's a dog uh, who looks like a terrier. And as they pointed out online, like some people were just like, oh, why? this terrier so that kind of looks like a schnauzer and then they pointed out that the the state of san luis potosi like outline it looks like uh a terrier <laughs> so that's it's pretty adorable i'm not gonna lie. <laughs> all right so on today to caxa one let's move on to that one uh hold on to top spot so the very top table thanks to late goal from Berteram. um i thought actually nagaxa were doing well offensively i thought nagaxa like we a decent game plan there against against Monterrey, but I mean, Monterrey when they have the firepower that they have, it's it's difficult to to keep that team uh, from not creating a dangerous chances. And they got the late goal from Berterame. So you want to say well done to Nicaxa, even though they lost. Uh, but yeah, tough result for them. And yeah, three points for for Rayalos, who are still at the top of the table. Uh, Thies got a one nothing away win over Atlas. It was a fun game and. Uh, um, Nico Avanes, you know, sticking up uh, when needed. I mean, that's the exact reason why why they they signed a player like that who did so well at Bachuca. And 
He highlighted again, once again, uh, in this game, why he's fantastic in the air. Probably one of the best headers in, in Liga Mackey. So, um, great goal from him. Guerrero won, Matlan won. Oh, man, that was that was also like a rough game to, to watch. And you kind of, it's these two teams that are currently winless in the Mackey's. They, they shared a points and they're the exact kind of teams that, you know, if, if relegation was still around in Liga Mackey's, which on paper could return at some point soon, but there's not guaranteed just yet. But if relegation was still around, Guerrero uh, Mazatlan would be two candidates that would uh, feel a little bit like maybe more like Liga de Expansión teams and Liga Mackey's teams. Um, let's go to Club America 2, Cholos 1. Henry Martin, another another great game from him. And, 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 and assist, uh, and another fantastic performance up top for him. Um, and just with each passing game, with each passing opportunity he's given uh, that he's providing in the attack with goals and assists, you do start to think again, it's like, is this, and I've mentioned this in the group that I met like with the Mexican soccer show crew. I've mentioned this online. Some people disagree with me, but immediately what I think is, is Oribe, right? You think of someone who is a consistent goal scorer, consistent uh, impact player in the attack. And I'm not saying that he's just good as Oribe. I think Oribe Peralta was, was a little bit better than Henry Martin. Uh, as someone pointed out online to me, and I think I a hundred percent agree. I think he's, I think Oribe is a better all-around player. Like he's more well-rounded than Henry Martin. But that being said, I mean, with the with the amount of goals that he's that he's scoring, with the the impact that he's having for Club America, I you do see him as you know sticking around the national team longer than some people might want. I think for me, I would want Santi Jimenez to be that the starting uh, the starting four for three. I think that Santi Jimenez is capable of doing that. I mean, he's thriving with with uh, with, with Feyenoord, and I, he's doing well and should be given an opportunity as Mexico's starting striker. But that being said, it's once again, it's it's like Oribe Peralta, where like I was like, I guess we give an opportunity to someone else. What about this veteran <laughs> who's doing quite well at the league at Mikey's level, who has been consistent and just having an, an impact for quite a big club. Uh, in Liga Mekis, if not the biggest club in Liga Mekis, depending on who you are. Um, so I, that's going to be an interesting conversation. And I think, as I mentioned in the previous Mexican soccer show, I think that'd be Coca's first big test. I think even more so than the match against, getting a result against Suriname, a, a result against Jamaica in the Nations League, because more than likely Mexico is going to win those games. I think the bigger test Coca next month will be who do you go with? Do you go with Santi Jimenez, someone who is playing at a higher level, someone who uh, has a higher ceiling, um, has a high ceiling right now when it comes to Mexican strikers, or do you kind of go the safe route? Do you go with uh, you know with a Hamad thing? Who yes, like. He's probably at the peak of his abilities, and yes, he, his ceiling isn't as high as the one that Santi Jimenez has, but he's probably a safer option. He's probably one uh, that is more accustomed to playing with some of those players within the Mexican national team. So I think that's going to be Goka's first, first big test, and I'm curious to see who he chooses, how he utilizes them, and if things go wrong for either of them, Let's say he does go with a Santi Jimenez, but Santi Jimenez doesn't score in the first game uh, against Suriname. 
Does he then give Henry Maritin the, the starting role? Or maybe it's vice versa. Maybe he gives Henry Maritin the starting role. Doesn't work out for him. And then he decides to give Santi Menes that opportunity. So I think that's something to keep an eye on. Um, but maybe we'll get a curveball. And it's going to be Chicharito. <laughs> He's going to be starting in those in those uh, in those Nations League games. You know what? If if it is Chicharito, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be too bothered in in those Nations League games. If that was if that was a goodbye game, if that was kind of a thank you for your service, um, here's a last opportunity for you. I think that'd be fantastic. But either way. The, the forward situation is going to be an interesting one <laughs> for Mexico. Um, but just to wrap up things on Liga MX, uh, let's let's close things out with Bachu 1, Toluca 2. I thought that was the most fun Liga MX game of the week. Very back and forth. Uh, obviously, this is a, a replay of the of, of, of the Mekis final uh, from, from last season. Um, I thought Pachuca did excellent work from them to, to fight back for an equalizer and make it one-to-one. It seemed like, like the talking point uh, for a little there was, you know, was Trophy Lopez because he got that equalizer. It seemed like the talking point was going to be, oh, here's here's a player who is having a renaissance in his career, is going to be back in the conversation about three. But then in injury time, Camilo Ceso from Toluca <laughs> got the game winner basically like a, a spoiled the three for for pachuca there and the three very very well deserved uh and dramatic for for toluca in that in that away win but before uh but before we we move to the mexicans abroad i also uh want a quick shout for for pachuca you know for i know they lost i know they weren't able to close out that game you do have to give them credit because that match in their start 11 nine of their players had been involved in their academy nine of their 11 this isn't and i think what and i know we know that about pachuca they they really value their academy system they really value their the players that they've developed and it's not as if these players like 18 to 19 the average age of these nine players was like 23 but that being said or for one that's still pretty young but also, it's not just a mid-table or lower table or lower table uh, Liga Mekis I do. This is the current Liga Mekis champion who who decided to go with nine players who have been involved in their uh, academy setup in their starting eleven. So I thought that was very cool. You hope to see more of that in Mexican soccer, but uh, that's that's not always the the case. <laughs> All right, let's move. Move on to the Mexicans abroad. So a quick highlight for what we'll be seeing this week. So, uh, there's going to be Champions League uh, for Chucky Lozano and Napoli uh, and also Europa League uh, for PSV. So you got Eric Gutierrez there and also uh, for Ajax in the Europa League too uh, with Edson Alvarez and Jorge Sanchez. Now, it did look like Edson Alvarez had a little bit of a, of a knock in the last game for Ajax. I don't know uh, how serious of a knock it is. Um, Maybe I've missed something. I feel like I spent a little bit of the day earlier today trying to look for news about how severe the injury was. I feel like I couldn't find something. Maybe by the time this is out, um, there'll be some news regarding that. But I couldn't see anything that said that it was too serious. But but yes, obviously, keep an eye on, um, especially with with, uh, with Chucky. Um, you know, he's not a guaranteed starter for Napoli. He's not, you know, a guaranteed member of the eleven, But... That being said, I think in a I think in a game like this, I think in a midweek game, it's a good opportunity to potentially utilize someone 
like Buki, who, you know, like I said, he had um, a starter week in, week out uh, with with Napoli uh, over over in Serie A. So I think hopefully you look at a game like this uh, for Napoli, maybe he gets an opportunity uh, to get that to get that start. Um, now let's move on to our last section of the pod. Um, I guess it's like not too difficult to do transitions when I'm just talking to myself. <laughs> um, you know, some quick updates on L3 Feminil and CONCACAF uh, U17 Championship. Um, L3 Feminil, um, right now they're playing in the Revelations Cup. Um, they're, they're hosting the tournament. It's, uh, uh, they, have a, they have a win and a draw uh, so far in the tournament. Uh, they defeated Nigeria and then had a draw against uh, Costa Rica. And now, I guess by the time you listen, because it's going to be on Tuesday, there might be a number. I assume most of you have already seen what's going to happen in the game. But this is a pretty big opportunity for L3 Feminine. Yes, you know, I watched highlights, saw what people have been, some reports about the, the draw with Costa Rica. And it's, some people were disappointed with how that match went and that it wasn't as good as people wanted it to be. But if, if, if Mexico can defeat Colombia tomorrow on Tuesday, then they win that Revelations Cup title. And I know it, it's this isn't the World Cup. I know, know this isn't. I know they had their issues with not qualifying for that turn. But I think that's still important for L3 Femme to be able to do that and say that in a tournament against teams who did qualify for the tournament, against teams, and by who did qualify for I mean teams that did qualify for the Women's World Cup. Because remember, Colombia... Costa Rica, Nigeria, they all qualified for the world. That's something L3 Feminine couldn't do. Yes, L3 Feminine should have been able to do that, but, but that just didn't work out. We saw how poor they were at the CONCACAF W Championship. Saw that in person. It was incredibly depressing, to be perfectly honest, to see that happen right in front of me. But if they can get that win against Colombia, if they can, and, and if they can emerge as champions of this competition... I think that's huge for them. I think it's huge because it's it's not just L3 Feminine that needs good news, but just Mexican soccer in general, right? We've seen how difficult it was for inside. We've seen the underwhelming finish at the, at the, at the Men's World Cup last winter. We've seen the issues for L3 Feminine not qualifying for, for the Women's World Cup. For the Olympics and for on the men's side, the men's side not qualifying for the Olympics. It's been and not qualifying for uh, the U twenty uh, men's World Cup. I believe it was a U twenty. Yeah, but anyway, so it's it's just been a string and a, and, a, and a list of really really difficult moments in Mexican soccer, and just because and like AFL three family did win uh, the Revelations Cup. Just because they were to win, that doesn't mean that suddenly things fixed in Mexican soccer or that all the firings and the hirings that they've done at the FMF, that doesn't mean that like, everything is finished and great job, everybody. <laughs> everything's success. That's not true at all. There's a lot of work that needs to be done, but that's still in the right direction. That's still a step in the right direction, like Goko going to see uh, Liga Mekis matches. It's a step in the right direction, like hopefully a, a, a promising and good start uh, men's national team uh, in the Nations League. So hopefully that happens next month. And hopefully this kind of, the Revelations Cup kind of builds in that as well. But yeah, we'll see how that one goes. Um, fingers crossed L3 Femini are able to to get the win here. Um, but so far, I mean, it's 
it's, it's probably going to be a tight game because so far all these games in, in the Revelations Cup they've all been very very narrow uh, results. Um, I don't think anybody actually. Let me look right here. Yeah, nobody has scored more than one goal uh, in a game. Um, so from the first four games, it was a one to one, a one zero, one zero, one to one. So I imagine it's gonna be the same uh, in the for Mexico versus Colombia tomorrow. So I can't imagine we're gonna see a lot of goals, but it's gonna be probably a, a tense match. Um, and then just to close things out, let's go over to the Concacaf U17 Championship now. There might be listeners who are like, yawn, boring, CONCACAF U7 championship. Why should we care? <laughs> well, I think why you should care is, well, for one, you know, this is this for the up and coming generation of players. You know, there's, you look at someone like, uh, I can't believe I forgot his name. I want to say it's Fidel Barajas. I think it's Fidel Barajas um, who plays in the USL. Um, I've watched some highlights and I'm not going to tell you as if I have actually watched, uh, closely all these U17, uh, CONCACAF games, but from the highlights I've seen, he seems to be something special. He seems to be something that could provide for, for the future of Mexican soccer. So this is an opportunity to not only get to see these next generation of players, but also keep in mind if Mexico, so they're going up against Salvador, that's tomorrow, uh, on February 21st, if Mexico ends up getting a win here. It's not just about qualifying for the semis and going to the final where, you know, they could potentially face uh, the United States for, you know, if you were you know, a betting person, that's, that looks like more than likely what it will be, uh, you know, a Mexico versus USA final, although you know, maybe Canada could, could go up there against Mexico. But you have to keep in mind that the winners from the quarterfinal stage, they're going to qualify for the 23 FIFA U17 World Cup. So it's not just about winning this domestic competition. Not to, I don't know why I said domestic competition. Regional competition, uh, in Concacaf. It's also this is the opportunity to qualify for U17 World Cup. So it's a huge, huge deal uh, for the U17 side. And as I talked about earlier, you know, just now about how Mexican soccer is really in desperate need of good news, really in desperate need of these small little victories because. Mexico has really had different times in, in the last couple of years when it comes to not only just the men's side, but the women's side and youth side. So you keep your fingers crossed that this is going to be an opportunity for them to move forward. Um, Mexico, they're definitely going to be the favorites here against El Salvador. But, you know, you can't really take any uh, opponent lightly, especially in the CONCAP region. And, you know, just after uh, the recent... Uh, Youth the national team side for um on the men's side who weren't able to qualify for the Olympics weren't able to qualify for the U twenty men's world Cup. you know they you know you kind of make it easily breeze through that competition but that just wasn't the case so something to keep an eye on right there so like it's Mexico versus El Salvador um, winners uh, get a spot uh, not only in the semis but in the Youth World Cup and over on the women's side the Relations Cup. Uh, where Feminil are going to take on Colombia. And whoever is in that game, uh, they'll then win the competition. Uh, what happens if they draw? Well, that's a good question. And I really should have prepared for that because I don't know what the tiebreaker is in the situation. I believe Colombia might go through because they're ranked higher in the FIFA rankings. Not, I think that's like one of the final triggers because... I think Mexico and Colombia, I think the goal to French points, the goal scored and goals would be the same. 
but don't quote me on because I'm not entirely sure I'm uh, apparently a professional by not knowing what that five breaker is. But either way, Kugel wins. They win. They win the Revolutions Cup as well. So I think that's it for me. Um, can't believe I was talking for probably almost like like an hour there. I feel, I feel like I really need some water. <laughs> but thank you all uh, for listening to this episode. Uh, yeah, like I said, there's there's a lot to keep an eye on forward with uh, with the national with Liga Mekis, um, uh, Liga Mekis Feminine too. We can't ignore that uh, as well. And yeah, and and keep an eye on El Tráfico. I think that's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how how that one turns out. Because yeah, we can talk about you know like the Galaxy going to you know bounce back. Is Galaxy going to soon resolve some of the issues that they that they having uh with supporters groups and obviously the supporters groups you've seen them protesting the galaxy uh recently but i think mexican soccer perspective i think there's still something interesting there with um the fan base turnout there uh, and potentially a, a single game attendance record at rose bowl uh with someone like chicharito with someone like bella and like and, and someone like efrain because could be the start uh, of his breakout season, I, I I think some I think if if there was ever a preseason, you know that looked really promising, where people have felt excited about what he can do, especially after recent years where it looks like he wasn't able to really follow through with his expectations. Maybe this is this is the season. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, but thank you all thank you all for listening to this up thank you to producer Amy for uploading this and uh, yeah hopefully you all weren't too tired of my voice I'm gonna go drink water um, chill <laughs> uh, until next time uh, we'll see you on the next episode of Mexican Soccer see you all around <laughs>